This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And our scripture reading is the, ver- the first 10 verses, 1 through 10 of 1 Peter 2. Hear the word of God. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, The same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. On the basis of that, part of Holy Scripture, as well as on the basis of many other portions of Holy Writ, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 6, which we, which we consider this morning. Lord's Day 6, the second Lord's Day in that second section on how I might be delivered from my sins and miseries. Lord's Day 6, regarding our mediator, Why must he be very man and also perfectly righteous? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. And one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Why must he in one person be also very God? 
that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Who then is that mediator who is in one person both very God and a real righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Whence knowest thou this? From the Holy Gospel, which God Himself first revealed in paradise and afterwards published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law and lastly has fulfilled it by His only begotten Son. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is above all things precious? That question comes from the Essentials Catechism book. It begins with this question. What is above all things precious? And if you were back in catechism and you had to answer this question, not only accurately, but from your heart, what would your sincere answer be? What is most precious to you? The answer of the catechism book is this, the knowledge of the true God through Jesus Christ whom He has sent. The knowledge of the true God through Jesus Christ whom He has sent. That is above all things most precious. In 1 Peter 2, which we read, especially verse 7, is one of the texts that stands as the foundation of that answer in the Essentials book. Unto you, therefore, which believe, He is precious. The knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ Himself, is precious to every believer. Literally, this text says in verse 7, the preciousness, not just a precious one, but He is the preciousness or the epitome of all that is precious. Jesus Christ. Throughout our lives, we're tempted, of course, by many things that human beings deem as precious, just as precious or more precious. A spouse, a child, a friend, a nice house, whether we have it already or what we desire, a well-behaved family, a problem-free church, a convenient life, a stable financial status, a healthy body, investments, the latest device, a vacation, reputation, a job, a business, success. All these things and more vie for first place in our heart and often become too precious to us. That's our idolatry. And thus it is good to reevaluate and reprioritize and ask this question again and again. What is above all things 
precious to you. Unto you, therefore, which believe, Peter says to God's people, He is precious. What Peter is talking about here in the context is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone who is precious. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter gives the figure of a building. And a building that is made up of different stones, which he calls lively stones. A spiritual house. Children, the church, the church is not itself a building. So the building that we're inside right now is not the church. The people are the church. But now here in this text, Peter pictures the members, the people of the church, as though they are the stones of a building. That's the picture. They're joined one to another, and at the foundation and at the corner is one stone that is more beautiful and unique than all the rest. It is the cornerstone. It is a stone upon which all the other stones are laid and to which all the other stones are joined to. That stone gives strength to all the other stones of the building and that stone governs exactly how that building is shaped and constructed throughout time. And that cornerstone, as you know, is Jesus Christ. He is the rock upon which all the members of the church are built. But think now, children, about this cornerstone. You've probably seen some decorative cornerstones on buildings. But don't think of a large stone merely with some words printed on it. Don't think of a large stone that is sometimes just gray or bland. But think of a large gemstone, a large jewel as that cornerstone. One in which, if you looked at it from a certain angle, you would think, Wow, a beautiful diamond. And then if you change your angle a little bit, you would see that looks like a beautiful ruby. And if you looked at it at a different angle, and as you looked at it from all the different sides and facets, you would realize this is a one-of-a-kind jewel with the beauty of all precious stones and large, serving as the foundation of the building. Precious is the word that Peter uses. Rare. Beautiful. That's the picture that Peter brings up here of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Is that how you think of our Savior? As your pastor, I have no power, of course, to instill into you this high estimation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, as being the precious one to you. I can only point you to the different facets of Christ's beauty as the Word of God reveals it this morning. And pray that the Spirit works as I preach to you which believe, as Peter says, to see Him as such. Precious. The precious One. This morning we consider the doctrine of 
Jesus Christ Himself as explained in Lord's Day 6. That Jesus Christ is very man, very God, and perfectly righteous. And these truths about Jesus Christ are familiar to us, of course. Particularly because we had just pondered them last Sunday in Lord's Day 5. Lord's Day 5 brings unto us the negative side of things. And Lord's Day 6 brings to us and emphasizes the positive side. You remember last week, Lord's Day 5 emphasized the negative side. There is no way. There is no way of salvation but one. And today, Lord's Day 6 emphasizes the positive. This one way is through the mediator, Jesus Christ, who is God, man, and perfectly righteous. He has to have these qualifications. And then Lord's Day 6 repeats, it reiterates why He has to have these qualifications. There's a repetition here. Think of a jeweler. Someone who is a professional, who understands jewels, who collects them even. And just as a jeweler might repeatedly study, marvel, turning his precious gem around and around, letting the light go through it to observe and admire the beautiful facets of the stone precious to him. So now the catechism leads us on that pathway to see Jesus Christ again the different facets of His beauty, the cornerstone, that we might deem Him as precious. Consider with me the doctrine of Lord's Day 6 under the theme, the preciousness of Jesus Christ. First, the precious identity. Second, His precious work. And then finally, His preciousness revealed or known to us. With our sinful natures, I know mine. I mentioned this last time, we get impatient and bored with the most precious things. We want to rush through Lord's Day 6 because we have considered many of the same things in Lord's Day 5 already. The Catechism guides us to slow down and marvel at the splendor of Christ's beauty. And the Catechism wants us to focus in upon the splendor, the beauty, the preciousness of Christ's identity in particular. His identity. Not merely His work, that's the second point, but first and foremost, His identity. That's what Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to focus on too. Notice in verse 7, "...unto you therefore which believe..." Not His work is precious, though that's included, but He is precious. The cornerstone is precious. We need to value, we need to learn to value more who Jesus is. Not just what Jesus has done, but who He is and how precious He is. And to impress upon you the importance of this, parents, what would you think of What would you think if your child said, after perhaps he's a teenager and is thinking about moving out of the house, what if your child said, it doesn't matter who raises me, 
It doesn't matter who pays for my Christian education. It doesn't matter who feeds me, who clothes me, who gave me a place to live. As long as I get the education, as long as the work is done for me, as long as the house is supplied, I'm good. Not only would that, of course, be offensive to parents, but that selfish young person needs to be rebuked and to be taught to realize and recognize the unique role of the specific persons, the parents that God has placed in his life. And that selfish young person needs to understand the importance of that relationship and fellowship in which he got to know, not just intellectually, but in a relationship, got to know these persons and the identity of the people in his life or her life. They need to be taught to value not just what was done for them, what was given them, but who. Who they had in their lives. But here's the phenomenon, beloved, that takes place not only between selfish young people and their parents, but also between Christians and their Lord. Men and women, old and young, learn to value what Christ has done. Or maybe what Christ is doing or what Christ will do. And spend too little time marveling at who He is. For isn't salvation, beloved, the very fact that He has given Himself who He is to us. Marvel at Him. There's a terribly wicked nature in us that says, I love what Jesus can do for me, but not what Jesus is. I love hearing how He is working everything for my good, but not about who He is. The greatest good. I'll take His providence, but not His person. I love His deeds, but not His deity. I'll take heaven, but I'm not so sure about His humanity as being that precious. Precious is the salvation He can give me, but I'm not so sure about the Savior Himself. I'll take the soteriology, the work of salvation, but I'm not so sure I'm that interested in Christology, the study of Christ Himself. Yes, indeed, that's one of our weaknesses, to value His work and not so much His identity. Do you love Jesus? You see Him as precious. And not only His work. You see, that's faith. Faith is the embracing of Jesus Himself, His real person. So meditate with me this morning and and, and cling by faith to Jesus Himself and Love Him as the preciousness. And let let the description of His identity not be merely an intellectual or academic exercise, but let it be a doxology of your heart. You stand in awe and wonder of who He is. He is beautiful Savior, isn't He? Lord of the nations, Son of God, and Son of Man. Thy glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forever, be Thine, be His.
Catechism explains in three parts his identity. We consider first that he is very God. Jesus is God. Oh, what a Savior. He is the King divine. What can be more precious than that? God. And Jesus is God. As Thomas exclaimed when he saw the risen Christ, for who he was, for who he is, we ought to stand in awe this morning. This Jesus is my Lord and my God. He is, as the Catechism says in question 17, in one person, very God. He is the second person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Spirit. He is Jehovah Himself. The heresy that especially denied the identity of Jesus Christ as God was the heresy of the Arians. Arianism. The modern day Arians are the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that Jesus was a creature. Yes, they'll acknowledge a creature greater than all creatures and even a creature that created the rest of creation that we see today, but yet a creature above the angels, but yet created by God at some point. So beloved, when they knock at your door, we ought, you ought to witness to them even as they try to witness to you. With a zeal and with holy jealousy, speak to them of how this Jesus Christ is your God, your Lord and your God. It is an offensive rejection of the very identity of Jesus Christ to claim that He is not. Not offensive to you first and foremost, but offensive to Him. He is the eternal God, born in Bethlehem Ephratah, as Micah says, and yet whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. In the beginning He was the Word, and the Word was with God, and this Word was God. He is Jehovah. That's what His name means, Jehovah, Savior. And He was the one that said explicitly, before Abraham was, John 8.58, I am. O church of God, stand in awe of this God, the precious identity of Jesus, your Savior. 1 John 5, verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and He hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, that we are in Him that is true, even His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is true, the true God and eternal life, John says in 1 John 5. Worship Him. Bow before Him. For He has neither beginning of days nor end of life, Hebrews 7. In Him we live and move and have our being. He is God with all the perfections of God in His person. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And if you think this is impractical, you are mistaken. You err. The greatest problem the greatest practical problem even 
in the church of Jesus Christ today is that she forgets to marvel at who Jesus is and His identity as God. Why do you think we, and I say we because I do this too, but why do you think we sin? And why do you think we take sin so lightly? It's because we forget that sin is against Jesus Christ and that this Jesus Christ is God Himself. Men and women in the church love to think about Jesus as having compassion. And He does. He does. But He is also the holy God who burns in fiery wrath against sin Himself. He is the God before whom angels cover their faces because of the brightness of His glory even right now as we worship Him. They cry, holy, holy, holy. And if we were to stand before Jesus Christ today, we would be like Isaiah saying, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Because Jesus is God. We slouch in the pew. And we have this attitude. We won't say it, of course, but we have this attitude that man is God. I am God. And this Jesus is supposed to serve me. Cater to my needs. Make sure the word applies to me. When we should be sitting in the pew, standing in awe of who Jesus is, knowing we're not worthy of anything. Oh, that men like you and me may bow more humbly in repentance again and again. And behold, our God. My heart doth overflow, we will sing. A goodly theme is mine. My eager tongue with joyful song doth praise the King divine. Unto you who believe that He is God, He is precious. And at the same time, while He is God, His identity is that He is very man. Oh, what a Savior. Marvel at this mystery, and a mystery because you cannot explain exactly how. Simply this, that because He is God, nothing shall be impossible with Him. And in the fullness of time, He is God, took on human flesh, and became man while remaining God, fully God. Rational human beings can argue all they want about how this isn't possible. But if you recognize that this Jesus Christ is God, then of course it's possible. Great is this mystery of godliness, Paul exclaims in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. God was manifest in the flesh. 2,000 years ago, He took upon Himself our weak human nature. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born. He had to grow. He had to face the exhaustion 
of long days and weeks. He had to face in his human nature the physical, mental, emotional limitations of being a man. He experienced poverty. He experienced hunger and thirst. He felt the temptations that human beings felt to the greatest degree when Satan and his own friends tempted him. He felt the mortality of his soul and body. This is not just a story. This is Jesus. This is not just a doctrine. This is Jesus. This is not science class where I give you facts so you can write it down and memorize. But this is the precious identity of who Jesus is. Who you are to embrace by faith. Very God. And yet very man. Flesh of your flesh. And bone of your bones. Son of God. And son of man. To you who believe. He is precious. And part of this beauty. Is the facet of his identity. That he is perfectly righteous. Marvel at this especially as you think of yourself in comparison to Him. Not an inclination. Not an inclination towards sin. While we by nature are described this way, every imagination of the thoughts of His heart was only evil continually. Jesus Christ had every imagination of the thoughts of His heart only wholly continually. Not a sinful feeling. No pollution passed down to him. He was a lamb without blemish, as Scripture puts it. Made to be sin for us, but who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Full of all virtue. Nothing that his father wanted him to do, he omitted from his life. And nothing that his father said he may not do, did he do perfect, with perfect love in his heart. He lived and continues to be that perfectly righteous one. To you who believe, This perfectly righteous man is precious. As a precious jewel, this one is rare. There is no one like him. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one as beautiful, as valuable. As he is, not even near close to being as precious or valuable. You are to see him as such. But here is something profound which Peter makes clear in 1 Peter 2. Whether you 
I deem him as precious or not? He is. God deems him as such. Verse 4. He's chosen of God and precious. God says, He is precious to me. He said it at His baptism, you remember. He said it on the Mount of Transfiguration. God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Precious to me. Popular opinion matters little to God. The majority is nothing to Him. While men and women, and you and I included, often deem other things more precious, God says about Jesus Christ, no matter what man may say, I deem Him as the precious one. And let all men bow before Him as such to agree with God that He is above all things most precious. You see, beloved, it's exactly because of His precious identity that He could do the work that we deem precious. He had to be with His person very God. He had to be with His nature very man. And He had to be with His character perfectly righteous to do this precious work. He had to be God for two reasons, especially that the Catechism shows us. And this is extremely important that you focus on two important words, not just one, but two important words and reasons that the Catechism shows us to show us or to sum up why He had to be very God to do this work. The word obtain and restore in answer 17. Obtain and restore. He had to be God in order to obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Consider that first word first, obtain. He had to be God in order to obtain or to earn for us the rights of salvation. This is review. We considered this recently that He might, by the power of His Godhead, answer 17, sustain in His human nature the burden of God's wrath. That's how He earned our salvation. He had to endure all of God's wrath in our place. In a 33-year lifespan, Jesus had to endure the infinite wrath of God. One sin deserves infinite wrath. He suffered for all your sins. And not just all your sins, but all the sins of all His people, in all the world, in all time. Consolidated, if you will, in His lifetime, 
and especially on that cross. We cannot even fathom the degree of suffering he had to go through. And I'll ask, can a mere human being endure that to its end? It's laughable. It's not possible for a mere human being to even comprehend with his mind how much suffering he has to endure, much less to endure it in his body and soul. Children, to think about this, think about the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Remember Elijah with his competition with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. And when it was his turn, Elijah had that ox, that bullock, cut up in pieces and laid on the altar. But before he prayed to God, he had the people dig a trench around that altar. And then, and then he had those servants grab barrels, four barrels, and then four more, and then four more, so that there were 12 barrels of water which soaked the bull, soaked the wood, and overflowed into the trenches around. And then Elijah prayed. And he prayed for the Lord to consume that offering. And we read this in 1 Kings 18, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust or the dirt and licked up the water that was in the trench. Imagine that. Think about that picture. Now consider this. If a mere man had tried to withstand the fullness of God's wrath, he would have been like that altar and that sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dirt and the water. And then God would have said, still not enough. to sustain the burden of God's wrath completely so as to be able to say truthfully, it is finished. He had to be this precious Savior, very God. But then secondly, I said there are two words in the catechism that describe why He had to be God. The second one is, the word restore. The synonym to that is apply. He had to be God not only to earn and obtain, but to restore or apply this salvation to us. Our Savior had to earn the rights of salvation, but He also had to give unto us the possession of salvation. Our Savior not only had to get for us salvation, but He had to work inside of us this salvation. He not only had to legally pay for covenant with God, but He also had to cause us to experience that covenant with God. 
Only the Savior can do that. Can a mere man work in, not just one now, but inside every single one of His people to turn their hearts to Him? You and I have tried before, trying to turn someone else's heart to the Savior, and you know you can't. Only God can. He has to be God to work regeneration, to work the experience of covenant with God, to work faith, to work repentance, to work every blessing of salvation inside of us. It's the only way we can be saved. Who has the power to do that? Only Jehovah Himself, Jesus, who is God. But He had to not only be God, He had also to be man, united to the person of the Son of God, complete human nature He had to have. Why? Because as you know, man must suffer for man's sin. Answer 16, the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. If you and I had been angels and yet had sinned, then Jesus could come as an angel to suffer as an angel for us. If you and I were animals, like bulls and goats and lambs that sinned, then He could have come as a bull and goat and lamb to suffer in our place for us. But we sin as human beings. That's who we are. Soul and body. And thus it is necessary for the justice of God to be satisfied that Jesus come as a human being, soul and body, to represent us. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, since we are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, so that through death He might destroy Him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. The precious Savior could accomplish the work of salvation only if He was a man, and he was. But finally, he was perfectly righteous. Why did he have to be perfectly righteous? The Catechism describes him as perfectly righteous because it was a necessary qualification. Notice the words, one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. That is, if Jesus had a single sin, if Jesus had tainted His best works with just a little bit of sin, unnoticeable to anyone else, He would have disqualified Himself from being our Savior. Because He would have had to suffer for His own sin instead. He had to be perfectly righteous so that He might suffer for our sins. 
so that He was qualified for that work of suffering for our sins. But I want to insert something here. An additional explanation for why our precious Savior had to be perfectly righteous. One that the catechism doesn't go through, but one that is so important. It is so important in our day and age, especially as heretics attack this truth of Christ's perfect righteousness for us. The reason that Jesus had to be perfectly righteous was so that He could impute to us that perfect righteousness. Not only so that He could be qualified to suffer, but also so that He could impute to us His perfect righteousness that is being denied by those of the federal vision today and many other camps who may not go by the name of federal vision. This truth of Christ's preciousness must be remembered. Romans 5.19 is one of the proof texts that show this. Romans 5.19 describes Jesus and His work this way, by the obedience Not just by His suffering, notice, but by His obedience. By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And that righteous doesn't simply mean that many, we are declared not guilty, but we are declared righteous as He is righteous. Jesus Christ had to live a perfect righteous life so that now, today, we might know and we might hear God say about us, say about you and say about me, you are perfectly righteous just as if He was perfect, just as if you were perfectly righteous because He was righteous for you. Or to break it down, Jesus Christ obeyed commandments 1 through 10 for you so that listen carefully you don't have to obey a single one of those commandments for your salvation he's done it for you now yes yes we have an obligation of thanks to obey those ten commandments but the point is He has obeyed every single one of those commandments, not only outwardly, but with His whole heart of perfect love for you. God sees you as such. Even before you go and live a thankful life in obedience to those same Ten Commandments. He was perfectly righteous for that purpose. That's how precious He is. And His preciousness is made known to you today. On the basis of His Word, as that Gospel is preached. Whence knowest thou this? The Catechism asks. From the Holy Gospel, which God Himself revealed first revealed in paradise, we read. But God revealed this gospel. He still does. He does today. 
He does so not only in the New Testament. He does so in the old he did so in the Old Testament. He revealed the same gospel and the same precious Jesus Christ. And the reason he did reveal it in the Old Testament even before Jesus came was because this gospel of Jesus Christ was in the mind of God from eternity, even before the Old Testament. That's the point of Peter when he says in verse 4 that this cornerstone was chosen of God and precious. In verse 6, he was elect and precious. We often think of election as God electing you and electing me. But here's the truth, though that is true too. God elected Jesus Christ first. This one who was very God, very man and perfectly righteous, He chose Him as the Savior first from eternity and then all of us in Him. So that Peter could say, Earlier on in 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. God had this Savior, this precious Savior in His mind. Deemed Him as precious from eternity. And then saved all the Old Testament people and the New Testament people in Him. Through the Old Testament, He revealed the same Savior. When Adam fell in paradise, the Catechism says, He revealed this Gospel. Early on in the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the sacrificial systems, He showed forth the same Savior. So that the Old Testament people, beloved, believed in the same Jesus Christ that we are believing in today. They deemed the same Jesus Christ precious as we deem precious today. God has revealed the same Jesus Christ through the Old and New Testament. Do you believe? Then you will deem Him as precious. You will search the Scriptures, beloved, where He has revealed this Jesus Christ, not only in the New Testament, but the Old Testament. In catechism class, you will come to hear the precious Jesus Christ. In church, you will want, you will desire all the more to learn about the precious Jesus Christ. More precious than anything else. As newborn babes, Peter put it, we will desire the sincere milk of the Word because the precious Jesus Christ is revealed therein. We will reevaluate our priorities day by day. To see Him as more precious than anything else. 
And yet here is the conclusion. To me and to you, as we hear the Word of God even this morning, to me and to you, He's not nearly as precious as He should be. Our new nature deems Him so. Our new natures are stirred even this morning to deem Him as most precious. But every day you and I struggle. And when we leave here today too, we will struggle. Because all kinds of things will compete for him, with Him for first place in our hearts. So you must hear this to conclude. Our Lord Jesus Christ is so precious that our salvation does not depend in any way on us cherishing Him as precious. But rather, our salvation depends, it depends on God seeing Christ as precious and us as precious in Him because of Him. You believe this gospel And to you who believe, it will become more precious. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hope rwc at gmail dot com. Thank you.